This is the Santita Jackson Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It's Monday, February 27, almost March, everybody. Oh, it's a blessing to be with you today. We have our election here in Chicago for mayor and older persons, and um, it's going to be quite exciting. We don't know who's going to win, who's going to place, who's going to show. In all likelihood, we will have an April 4th runoff. What will that mean? So I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. Commissioner Brandon Johnson, Congressman Chewy Garcia will be with us today. And um, and you, I want to know who you got. Have you made up your mind yet about who is going to, whom you're going to vote for? Uh, and uh, in the, who do you want to see make the runoff? Should there be one? Yeah, all of that. I want to hear your thoughts today. Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT, and let's get right to it. I'm coming to you from WCPT, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota, and YouTube, the Santita Jackson Show, and the uh, Santita Jackson and Friends page. Everyone, uh, today I'm trying something a little bit different because I really want to be on timeline. That's a cleaner, cleaner feed. Um, what you've been hearing me do over the past few weeks is broadcast from my phone. I'd rather do this just for the sake of longevity as we post the podcast. It sounds better to do it this way. But um, all of you who are in the Morning Stars community, you won't be able to hear you won't be able to hear. So I'm trying to figure out how to rectify that. We'll I'll figure it out, figure out something. That having been said, um, go to WCPT820.com so that you can hear uh, the glorious Pam Morris Walton as she gives us the good news. And um, let's get to uh, what will be a beautiful day in Chicago. It will almost be 60 degrees. 55 degrees will be the high and showers. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 37 degrees and rain in the NBA. Well, the NBA All-Star break is over. The Bulls, 102. The Wizards, 82. The Warriors, 109. The Timberwolves, 104. And the NHL just keeps chugging along. The Wild, 3. The Blue Jackets, 2. And the Chicago team will be playing the Ducks tonight. The U.S. is is only one of seven countries in the world without some form of universal paid family and medical leave. And just think about this, everybody. After all of the pressure that Norfolk Southern have been under after this disaster in East Palestine, Ohio, where Aaron Brockovich, the noted activist, has just had a big town hall meeting. Now uh, they have been granted, the unionized workers have been granted paid sick leave, which is something that all the railway workers in the United States have been fighting for, and they've been denied that by these multi-billion dollar companies that make more and more and more money. Remember the train, the Norfolk Southern train that derailed, that caused this, um, what people are calling a Chernobyl-level accident. It was 1.9 miles long, and there were only two full-time employees working on it and one trainee. Think about that. 1.9 miles long. Even if they wanted to stop the train, it would take them a long time to stop it. 
1.9 miles long, and they only had three people working on it. It was one of whom they were training. Think about that, everybody. Think about it. Think about it. A barrage of snow, rain, and that's what we're in today, and harsh winds is forecast from the West Coast to the Great Lakes today. Following a similar string of severe weather last week, approximately 284,000 homes and businesses were without power, everybody, across the U.S. as of this morning, about half of which were in Michigan, praying for our brothers and sisters up there. More than 100 other storm reports were recorded in parts of the central United States. And uh, the U.S. Department of Energy has assessed that the COVID-19 pandemic most likely came from a laboratory leak in China. Mm. Uh, President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan goes before the Supreme Court on Tuesday. Millions of student loan borrowers could see up to 20,000 of their debt canceled, depending upon the outcome of the hearing. And those are just some of the headlines as uh, we see progressives urging the Senate Democrats to ditch a tradition, the blue slip tradition that allows the GOP to veto the Biden uh, court appointments. Now, what could happen if the Democrats were in power as well? The blue chip practice, it's not an official Senate rule, it's, but it's a tradition. It's a practice when you get to the Hill. They are very, very steeped in tradition, if not outright rules. And um, the Senate can, a senator can unilaterally block a federal district court judge nominee from being uh, considered if that person is from their home state. That's right. It's not an official rule, but the GOP have been using this rule to strike down what could be an historic resetting of the court system, really populating the court system because the GOP would not allow President Obama to do that. So think about that, everybody. And then there's a study that ties long-term pollution to heart disease and heart attacks. We should all be our environmentalists, everybody. Can you imagine if that's what's happened, according to this JAMA study? What do you think about East Palestine, Ohio? And those are just some of the headlines. We are so excited today to always have our gospel sister. Indeed, um, she is an icon uh, in our church. There's so much that she does. Uh, and I want you to get her book, 57 Days, Wait for a New Heart, Everybody. And it is a journey. It is a journey of faith and love. I remember seeing you shortly after you'd gotten your heart transplant because we were on the plane, if you recall, years ago. And I was concerned about you, but I said, you know, her spirit is so strong. I remember calling my parents and immediately we started to pray for you. And um, and to see you now, <laughs> God is a miracle worker. It's so wonderful. It's just a blessing. I feel it's a sincere privilege to have you with us today. And on the Mondays when we can get you, when you're not out there traveling and doing your thing. <laughs> Pam Morris Walton, what's the good news today? <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you so very much. Good morning, everybody, and good morning to you, Santita Jackson. Um, uh, today, it's two words. And, and with so much going on around the world and in this country, my two words to you today is be inspired. Be inspired. Don't get discouraged at all, easily or anything, by life's trials, tribulations, and occurrences. Just open your eyes. Open your heart. Open your ears. Open up your mind. When you do that, you will hear positive messages 
positive messages in music. Music. So many good songs, gospel songs, uh, total praise, goodness of God. God provides. His eyes are on the sparrow. Order my steps. There's so many good songs. And the laughter. Think of the laughter of a child. How about waking up and hearing a bird tweak from the tree? You can be inspired by so many who have turned their obstacles into opportunities. Mm. You can be inspired by so many who have turned their obstacles into opportunities. Listen to stories of your elders, of how they opened and they coped, and, and, and they, went, but they were able to get along and didn't give up hope. They gave up no hope. They said, oh, I, I still have hope. All right, they endured so much. Just take some time and listen to an elder. Be inspired by authors. I'm one. I am one. An inspiring story of courage and love in, in, in my God-centered journey of what I went through for 57 days in the hospital. Okay? Be inspired by Ayana Van Sapp. Now, you know she has a number of books, but the book Acts of Faith and Tapping the Power Within is amazing. Every now and then, I'll pick up John Johnson's book. He authored Succeeding Against All Odds. I'm not talking about a few, but all odds. And then there's a message to the people by Margaret, uh, Marcus Garvey. I like that book. And Susan Taylor's book, I just read a page or two out of it last week, entitled In the Spirit. Just be inspired. Have you ever, um, have you ever been driving down the street during the school time or early in the morning or uh, maybe in the afternoon with the crossing guard in the neighborhood who serves our children? And a number of them serve the children with joy and dependability. One was on TV not too long ago that sings. Just be inspired. Be inspired by educators who continue to teach until uh, under stressful conditions. They continue to teach. Be inspired by artists who paint, create, and design using colors and fabrics and nature. Be inspired by your children's intelligent minds. My granddaughter inspired me yesterday morning on the radio station. She inspired me. I said, wow. And all she did was give some inventors that during Black History Month. And did you know what else she did? She read a part of I Rise by Maya Angelou. She inspired me. Be inspired by those who got up when they were told to sit out. Be inspired by those who were told they would not become worth anything to overcome others' judgment of them. Be inspired today by the visionaries who don't settle for just being ordinary. Be inspired by Santita Jackson every day. Inspiration is all around you, and it's in you, for you. But it's up to you to grab it, to inhale it, and exhale Enrich your life and be inspired. I'm Pam Morris Walton.
Mm. I love that. I love that. An obstacle is your opportunity. An obstacle is your opportunity. Talk about turning a minus into a plus. That talk about turning a minus into a plus. plus. Everybody get the book, 57 Days. It's a wait for a new heart. So many of us are afraid to be donors. So many of us, and we have been abused by the system, black people in particular, I would say Native Americans, indigenous people. People who have been on the downside of advantage have been uh, afraid of the donor process, but I tell you what, um, thank God, thank God you if were the recipient. Donor, if it wasn't for a donor, I would not be living today because I was past a cent and a faith maker. It was only a heart that would keep me alive and give me a second chance at life. All right, have a great one. I'm going to stop. I know. I love you. Don't stop. You just have to we'll get you back next week. <laughs> take a pause. Okay, I'll take a pause. <laughs> I love Pam Morris Walton. Has She has been an inspiration to me just down through the years. And I just thank God for uh, for Albertina Walker, the queen of gospel, for bringing us together on in a personal way, as I've been following you for years. Love you so much. Pam Morris Walton, that's right, our gospel sister. And, of course, we have got Dr. Shanina Knighton. Dr. Knighton, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, the Wuhan lab, it, indeed, more and more of our government agencies are saying, well, you know, this uh, COVID did leak from the lab. Um, and, well, okay, you guys, yes, you know I'm always a skeptic. Well, not a skeptic. I'm always trying to find out what's the story behind the story. I should have known that, you know, now that China's about to become our number one enemy, that this was going to come from the lab. But when President Trump was saying it, you all were just saying that he's a horrible guy. You know, let me tell you something. I have a background in science and music, okay? In music, if the note is flat, if it's sharp, you, you don't want to hear it. It's just, it's, it's just science. That's, that's what it is. So I'm really agnostic about where the information comes from. I always check it out, but I just want to know what's the deal. Where did this come from? Because this virus has confounded everybody, everybody, everybody. So should we be concerned about where, about the origin of, are you just in general, are you concerned about the origin of an infection? I mean, is that, is that important to you? As an infection preventionist, do you need to chase down where something comes comes from? If it came from a lab or if it developed organically, you know, you know, in just out and about in the world, is that important? Good morning, Saint Peter. It is important, and my apologies ahead of time if things drop because I don't know where the heck my charger been. Okay, <laughs> it's okay. But I'm so serious. <laughs> It is important because if you think about it, it's just like with life, right? If you know where something or someone has been, then you know where you're going. And in this particular instance, this would be important to know because scientists were perplexed at the beginning as to why is it that things aren't responding to a certain level of treatment. You had individuals what is this? Why is this not necessarily mutating so fast, but why is it impacting the ACE2 receptors in the manner in which it is? And there's been many that said that it may have not behaved like a virus that they've seen in the past. And so it wasn't coming from a place of trying to be what people would call a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. 
But when you're looking at the harm that is done and you say to yourself, okay, well, if this impacted somebody's, let's say, H2 receptors and they're having brain fog and, oh, now it's causing kidney issues and it's doing X, Y, and Z, you're looking up to yourself and you're saying, like, oh, my gosh, it's impacting all of these things. Like, where does this come from and how can we treat it? So, no, it's not necessarily saying, like, oh, yeah, Wuhan did it or this happened. But I think the problem that I had an issue with was the group think and the people that were shut down when there was conversation about the possibility of it coming from a lab. That's what upset me because I know, and I've even had this, like, let's say from colleagues, you know, back in the day when I said, well, how do we know that it did it? Well, we know that it didn't. And I'm like, well, wow, were you all in the lab during the same time that, you know, to, to discover <laughs> that it didn't happen? And, and, and I'm only saying that because I've been in a lab before where we've had to literally understand a pathogen and understand how we were going to kill it, right? So if I need to know if a certain product works, let's say for hand hygiene, then you have to create the conditions in order to understand if it's going to work. And so my thing is, is this something is spilled? Did something get mixed that wasn't supposed to happen? And again, it is a theory because we don't know per se. So I just think that honestly, early on and even still now, and I talked about this, Antita, many times, and that's just to be kind. People become so angry when they think that they know so much. But I always say that we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And to be kind when people have their skepticism, when they have their speculation about things, because we do not understand. And so when we dismiss the feelings of others, when we miss the experiences of others, then we miss knowledge that very well can help us to uh, make better decisions. And we've seen that happen when people say Oh, like, you know, I've had issues with the vaccine and the vaccine did this. People automatically dismiss people, call them conspiracy theorists, were mean to them, instead of listening to someone's lived experience. It's not a one-size-shoe-fits-all model, and things can happen to people. But it's upsetting when you have someone tell you that it didn't happen, even though that might have been your lived experience or the lived experience of your loved ones. In this particular instance, if a scientist that just built something that didn't have a lab audited or anything felt that this was possible, then being dismissed was not the right thing to do because, as you see, we tend to lose what it is we may know about something when we dismiss it. And so, no, it's not to say that this is the absolute origin of it. However, to your point, we always get so upset about the messenger. We always Mm -hmm. get so upset about the delivery that, honestly, had we even taken into account back then that it was a possibility that potentially in itself could have saved lives opposed to people Absolutely. worrying about who was given. Absolutely. I said, wait a minute. Trump said this, what, two years ago? Now, did he put it in artfully? And, uh, yeah. But, you know, you with the, the way this behaved, I mean, a lot of people had a lot of questions. And it's unscientific not to be able to ask questions and have them answered or certainly have them explored. So, you know, I mean, I think it, you know, I think it is of importance. 
that we know where this came from. And I just say this as a layperson. You are an infection preventionist and you're a research scientist, so I can only imagine. So, you know, I I had to ask you that today because, um, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Most people have not been boosted. So people are pushing back on this, and they have a lot of questions. And the Republicans are having hearings now, which the corporate media are not playing up. They're not letting you hear. So pay attention to everything, everybody. Loving you, Dr. Shanina Knighton. Hey, Dr. Nina, that is her handle. Let's speak with Congressman Chewy Garcia, candidate for mayor, one of the top tier. He could be in the runoff. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. We have got our mayoral election tomorrow. We might have a runoff on April 4th, ironically, the date of the assassination of uh, that we commemorate for uh, the assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. But, you know, there are, you know, we have nine candidates. We do have a top tier of candidates. Um, the clear leader, at least according to many polls, would be Paul Vallis. But we don't know who he would face in the runoff. It could be Brandon Johnson. It could be the mayor. It could be this man. Uh, Congressman Chewy Garcia, former alderman, someone who I've known for many, many years, a great coalition builder. Many of you have been asking questions about that. I met him mm, when Harold Washington was running for mayor. Many of us, because Harold Washington was mayor, won two terms. We forget how hard it was to endorse him. And when you endorsed him in a city that is controlled, that has been controlled by the Democratic machine, it's almost as if you were signing away your um, your your public life because the machine came in on you. But this man and Luis Gutierrez and, and Gus Savage and some people, and Lou and Georgia Palmer, some people, Reverend Jesse Jackson, uh, you know, Bob Lucas, all these people stood with Harold Washington. And then when Reverend Jackson was running for president, saw him again. He was organizing the Latino community and, uh, and progressives. So it is in this context that I bring to you my dear friend, someone I, had, I just had to say this, and I told your, your staff that I was going to bring you up this way. It almost makes me, makes me very emotional because when people question your bona fides as a progressive and as someone who's worked in the community, I have to push back very, very hard because you've worked very, very hard for years at risk to your to your career, but, you know, the people trust you and love you, and they continue to elect you and lift you higher and higher. Welcome to the show, Congressman Chewy Garcia. Uh, thank you uh, so much, uh, Santita. It's great to join you, and thank you for covering some history uh, about uh, how we have transformed uh, Chicago uh, politics, how we've made uh, progressivism uh, popular, and how we're building new coalitions in our times, and of course, redefining politics uh, in Chicago. It's really important for people to be able to look back uh, at least uh, 40 years, and this is a wonderful time to commemorate the victory of Harold Washington in coalition politics and uh, you know, the emergence of you know, modern, uh, inclusive uh, government. 
that has uh, enabled people uh, to get elected, to be represented in the cabinet, uh, to be leading agencies, uh, other municipal agencies, uh, sister agencies. It is a wonderful time to reflect uh, how far we have come. For me uh, personally, uh, serving the people of Illinois' 4th Congressional District has been the honor of my life. I'm uh, very proud uh, to have delivered for my constituents to bring home to uh, Chicago and to Illinois historic investments to improve infrastructure and keep our city afloat during the pandemic. But our city is on the wrong track, and I am the only candidate in the race with the experience at all levels of government to build coalitions that we need to build a safer, more prosperous future for our city. We are at a critical juncture, and I believe that I have the experience and the relationships to make that happen so that Chicago can experience a recovery. From all that we've learned and uh, have gone through during the pandemic, and certainly the lessons of the racial reckoning and the importance of making uh, equity uh, a core of everything that we do in a rebuilding uh, experience. I also want to just remind folks that, you know, in this 40-year period, um, it it has included a movement for empowerment, especially of black, uh, brown, and Asian uh, people who have been able to elect people to city council, to the county uh, board, uh, countywide, and then to the state legislature. Uh, Case in point, uh, there is now, for example, uh, uh, an Asian uh, caucus in the Illinois General Assembly. The roots of that uh, lie in the election of Harold Washington 40 years ago. Certainly that there's a Latino caucus and a black caucus in the city council and in the state legislature and um, our representations of the type of empowerment and the changes that have occurred uh, over that time. Finally, I would just add that uh, the election of young people and the next generation of uh, leaders to city council, to the state, uh, county, et cetera, uh, has occurred in the last uh, especially six to eight years. I'm very proud to have participated in lifting up that next generation of leaders because that shows that we've been working on building the bench, thinking about the future, and yes, turning over uh, the reins of leadership to a new generation. Why is equity and coalition building so important to you? Why is that so necessary? I mean, particularly in what has um, the Justice Department, you know, at various times it's called this the most segregated city in the United States. Why is that at the center of this campaign? It's at the center of this campaign because of all the lessons that we learned from the pandemic. Um, In the pandemic, we saw uh, people uh, who are uh, low income and working class and who lost their jobs, who had to hunker down and be on lockdown for a long time. We saw the inequities take the lives uh, of black and brown people disproportionately. Uh, The low income folks uh, took the biggest hits. They live in the most densely populated, smaller quarters in their homes. Uh, We saw that. We saw more uh, poor and uh, people of color get sick than ever before. And uh, it led to much of the civil unrest that also occurred uh, in Chicago 
we ask, why do these things happen? They happen because uh, we have, uh, you know, worked through structural racism where redlining and discrimination and disinvestment and neglect have produced these conditions where it breeds violence, it breeds hopelessness, and uh, it culminated with a lot of the civil unrest that we saw all over the country. The lessons of this need to be heeded, and we need to take actions and measures that will create systems that represent equity and equal opportunity and that are investing in areas that have experienced the greatest inequities for decades, uh, certainly in Chicago. That's why it is so important. It is not only a moral question, uh, though it is, it's also an economic and a political uh, imperative as well that we take measures to ensure that every neighborhood is healthy, that every neighborhood has essential good things like access to health care, a good neighborhood school, the ability to have within walking distance as possible access to grocery, good, safe, clean, and reliable transit. Those are the types of neighborhoods that we've got to create moving forward. If not, it's just a matter of time before we see inequities explode and you know produce the type of uh, instability uh, that we are seeing in our city today. I ask you this because crime, the corporate media have framed this race as crime. You know, this crime is the issue, crime is the issue, crime is the issue. And my question for you is, um, but when you talk to black and brown people, we see intersectional problems. We say, you know, our schools have been closed. We don't have access to the education that more affluent parts of the city do. We don't, we've, we've been the frontline workers. We didn't have access, as you just you know, kind of referred to this, we didn't have access to the tests. We had to work anyway at the height of the pandemic when we didn't even have PPEs. And on and on and on and on and on. It goes, we saw the inequities just play all the way out through through COVID. Um, but one of the, and then, of course, we had the killing of George Floyd, which sparked this whole discussion about what to do about the police. Um, what can we do I mean, where do you see what are what are the issues with the police and how do we heal the breach between the police and the community? Well, it's really important that new leadership in the mayor's office, in the office of the uh, next police superintendent, embrace rebuilding trust uh, in Chicago among community residents, especially those that experience the greatest levels of violence most of the time, uh, and uh, police officers get to know each other. We've got to get back to having the hard conversations about what we've experienced, what people in the neighborhoods have experienced, you know, the long a history of uh, officers who have abused their powers, uh, people like John Burge and Sergeant Watts and Detective Guevara, for example, and the harm that they have inflicted. These are memories that people in Chicago have today. That's why modernizing the police department, having a superintendent who understands these things and a superintendent who is committed to bringing about change through relationship building, investing in things like violence prevention and working 
with you know organizations and individuals that do that type of work, uh, having uh, more appropriate responses to non-violent uh, situations uh, where people are in need of mental health, where there are domestic violence disputes, where there uh, where hate crimes have occurred is really important. Prioritizing violent crime by uh, detectives and police officers and uniformed officers is very important, but we also have to invest in other approaches uh, that require that type of engagement with community residents. Implementation of the consent decree is another very important element of that type of reform and modernization of the department. So all of these things need to be happening simultaneously. In addition to that, the city has the responsibility to take the lead on comprehensive community development to take measures that produce and scale up the production of affordable housing in communities that have all of these empty lots, many of uh, whom are owned uh, by the city of Chicago, and it needs to be able to turn over property to help clean up uh, land uh, for that. That isn't happening at a sufficient enough ratio in Chicago to enable people to see real progress on the ground, new development happening that can instill a sense of hopelessness and restore some confidence that Chicago is a good place to remain in the future and that Chicago can turn a corner and begin to grow its population. Growing the population is a concrete sign that we are on a bounce back and that we have opportunities in the future that will uh, you know, be accessible to people everywhere in Chicago. So it's both a combination of public safety measures, but holistic public safety measures, and then economic uh, measures as well to demonstrate that things are different and that there is reason to want to stay in Chicago, uh, to attend Chicago public schools because the schools will become better resourced. Uh, but what I'm talking about is a comprehensive approach to community development. This is what I learned in my training in the nonprofit sector at the University of Illinois with my urban planning degree. And these will be the approaches that I will direct as mayor of the city of Chicago for our Department of Planning, Department of Housing, other departments to bring about those types of developments that people can begin to see that can restore a sense of hope in the future, many people in Chicago have lost hope, and I think that's what's driving the increase in crime all over Chicago. Well, I mean, and not enough money, Congressman Garcia. Is there anything, anything that can be done on the local level, you know, about the wages and, and about access to city contracts? You know, black and brown people don't have, and Asian people do not have the access, indigenous people, we don't, it's, we don't have the clear pathway, even to get, getting on the police force <laughs> or, or to be fire persons, let alone uh, entrepreneurs who could perform services for the city. After all, that is how a lot, a lot of our uh, prosperous businesses have been built by getting these city contracts, these state contracts. I mean, just before you go, what can we do uh, to make this, when we talk about equity, and we talk about, you know, we need money. 
There are, yes, and and the economic investments are critical to improving the quality of life and instilling a sense of hope in people. Now, there are a variety of things that we have, a toolbox that we have to work with, and those are the good news. Uh, In Congress, we passed the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. It'll be with us for the next 10 years. Chicago is poised because of all of the transportation assets that we have here, whether it's highways or transit uh, systems, trains and buses, uh, O'Hare Airport, Midway Airport, to become a part of an economic engine that more equitably uh, employs people, uh, provides opportunities for uh, minority and women business, uh, business-owned participation in that, especially through the procurement process. Uh, the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, coupled with the uh, CHIPS Act, the manufacturing uh, bill that we approved in Congress that Chicago has great potential to uh, benefit from. For example, if you go on my economic development plan, you'll see that I have proposed the creation of a green manufacturing district on the west side along I-290, strategically located. We can build pipelines so that young people who are graduating from high school, who are graduating from junior colleges, can have a direct participation in the career jobs that will be developed by a growing manufacturing district and uh, an economy in Chicago. This is a part of the future. Uh, Lastly, I would say the third bill that is uh, part of our toolbox is the bill in energy investments. It's known as the Inflation Reduction Act, kind of a misnomer of a bill that is going to provide an opportunity for people to install solar panels on their roofs, new heating and air conditioning units in their homes, in their basements, so that they have more efficient, less contaminating systems of cooling and heating. The federal government is going to enable people to get these uh, these amenities and modernize their homes through tax credits. Another way that we will invest in Chicago, create many jobs, uh, train people for the jobs of the future in green manufacturing and in technology as well. So we have some tools to work with. This is unprecedented funding. And let us not forget that these bills are the biggest thing that Congress has approved since the New Deal. So these are the critical hardwares for rebuilding a more equitable Chicago that is rooted in economics and economic opportunities, which mean jobs and career development opportunities as well. Congressman Chewy Garcia, everybody. Um, He is running for mayor. Is there anything that's been left unsaid? Is there anything else you would like to say, Congressman Garcia, before you go? Yes, that uh, 40 years ago, we had a stellar uh, uh, example of the type of government that Chicago needs. Uh, We had, uh, for the first time, an administration that looked like Chicago. That is how I intend on governing. Uh, My administration will be reflective of the African-American community, the Asian community, uh, European-American community as well. We can't become a world-class city with equity at its core if we leave anyone behind. That's the lesson of COVID. That's the lesson of the civil unrest that Chicago has uh, experienced. And these are the lessons that we need to execute and implement and incorporate into a government that seeks to be responsive, that seeks to demonstrate a vision and an inclusivity in 
economics, its politics, its culture, as we move forward with a diversity seeking to reclaim its status as a safe and prosperous world-class city. Congressman Jesus Chuy Garcia, thank you so much for being with us today. It meant a lot to have you here with us. Thank you, Santita. Have a great day. Oh, God bless you. Hey, everybody, I want you to call me at 773-763-9278-773-763-9278. I want to know who will you be voting for? Have you made up your mind? Are you part of the more than 100,000 people who have voted already? Wow. Now, those numbers are down in uh, in black wards. Mm, interestingly but not every place else in the city. So who do you think is voting? Why do you think they're voting? Why have you voted? Why will you be voting? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. I want to know what you think about this election. It's been nine people who are running. Nine people, nine people. What do you think about the, the um, really, the... Uh, Paul Vallis being in the lead. What do you think about that? Given his stance on critical race theory and his affiliation with the police. But, you know, no one is going to elect someone who is not supportive of the police. In fact, we're all supportive of the police. We want the police to have our backs. We just don't want them on our backs. We want them to be regulated. We want them to be well-behaved so that they can be respected by us. We're going to call them, but we don't want to call them and... uh, and not trust them to do the right things for the right reasons. So it's clear our beliefs need support, uh, and we'd like we should open up conversations, dialogues with them, um, and also call them out when they abuse the public trust. When you have power, when you have power, you must use it so that you don't, and use it and do not abuse it, because if you abuse it, you will lose it. Think about that, everybody. My father tells, tells us that all the time. You don't use your power that way. President Lincoln said, if you want to test a man's character or a woman's character, first give them power. Think about that. Give someone power. Give someone power. And so it's important to hear uh, candidates uh, say and to see their record on inclusion. And diversity, and not just diversity in terms of phenotype, what you look like. I mean, diversity of thought. See, I'm all for administrations that have everybody there because everybody's thoughts do matter. That having been said, Chicago has been on paper the most segregated big city in the United States. So you have to have a special attention to diversification. You have to have a special attention to equity in a society that favors the very, very wealthy, that favors the oligarchs. Yeah, we have oligarchs in the United States. We just call them you know, big business people, the masters of the universe. Yeah, well, that's what we've got. And it is running us into the ground. You have more and more poor people. You have more and more people falling out of the middle class into financial insecurity. And fewer and fewer people who are getting more and more of the resources. You know that's not right. You know there are many entrepreneurs here in Chicago who have been discouraged by the procurement process because it is so lengthy, it is so onerous, people just give up. And after you give them one set of information, they want something else, and then something else, and then something else, and then something else. The process needs to be streamlined. 
it appears that people are grandfathered and grandmothered in. That is, some people who have had families in this process, they have the advantage over you and me. That's not right. So let's think about that, everybody. What are we going to do? Who, which candidate is going to make Chicago really work for everybody? Think about that, everybody. Think about that. And look at people's track records. I encourage you to do that. Call me at 773-763-9278. Indeed, we have got Top Commissioner Brandon Johnson coming on at the top of the hour so we can hear what his thoughts are. He has emerged as a, as a top-tier candidate. Many people are saying, many reports are saying that it will be Paul Ballas in the runoff or the mayor or Brandon Johnson or Congressman Garcia. Who do you think it's going to be? Who should it be? Who do you want it to be? Because you're the one who determines that. You're the one who makes the decision because you're the one who has to vote. Don't let anyone tell you that your vote does not matter. Every single vote matters. Every single one. And you are the person you've been waiting for. So get out and vote, everybody. More than 100,000 of us have already voted. But not on the west side, not on the south side. What are we waiting on? What are we waiting on? Get out and vote. Get out and vote. Get out and vote. Coming up, Commissioner Brandon Johnson. What does he plan to offer the city of Chicago? Call me at 773-763-9278-773-763. WCPT, my girl Jewel. She said, call me. She's up in New York at 773-763-9278. I want to know if you're going to vote and um, whom will you be voting for? Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show. And join our morning stars on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and on the Santita Jackson and Friends page right here on WCPT820.com and AM950radio.com. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show with Commissioner Brandon Johnson. Thank you, Congressman Chewy Garcia. Back in just a few more minutes with the Santita Jackson Show. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It's one day before Election Day here in Chicago. We are about to elect a new mayor. Who will it be? Will we have a runoff on April 4th? Well, it looks like we will. Who will be in the runoff? We don't know, but I tell you who does know. You know, because you're the ones who are going to be voting. We have, we are absolutely setting records with the vote. Uh, wow, I mean, at the beginning of last week, well, four years ago, 2,500 people had voted, right? At the, same, at the same point in the election. Uh, at the beginning of last week, more than 40,000 people, now more than 100,000 people, the, voter, the voting is surging. But not on the south and west sides. So who's voting? Are you going to vote? You better vote. Uh, you will let the minority determine what the majority need. 
So you need to get out here and vote. Please vote. We've got Commissioner Brandon Johnson with us today. So I'm going to get through these headlines very quickly so that we can hear from him and hear about his plans for Chicago. In Chicago, we're going to have a high of 55 degrees today and showers. In Minneapolis, St. Paul, 37 degrees with the rain. The NBA All-Star break is over. And the Bulls were triumphant over the Wizards, 102 to 82. And the Warriors, well, the Timberwolves fell to the Warriors, 109 to 104. And in the NHL, the Wild 3, the Blue Jackets 2, Chicago will be playing the Ducks tonight. We have got crazy, crazy weather all over the country, everybody. Crazy, crazy weather all over the country. Tornadoes. This is really supposed to be happening in April, but it's happening here right now. A barrage of storms, of snow, rain, and harsh winds. It's forecast from the West Coast through our region, the Great Lakes today, following a similar string of severe weather last week. 284,000 homes, mostly in Michigan, are without power today. More than 100 other storm reports were recorded in parts of the central U.S. as hurricane-force winds pounded Oklahoma in particular and Texas. Everybody, please be careful. Be careful. The U.S. Department of Energy has assessed that the COVID-19 pandemic most likely came from a laboratory leak in China. President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan goes before the Supreme Court on Tuesday. Millions of student loan borrowers could see up to $20,000 of their debt discharged. What will the Supreme Court decide? Will they side on, will they side with students or <clears throat> with the banks? Yes, I had to say that. And Erin Brockovich to the rescue. She was down in East Palestine, Ohio with the resident having a town hall meeting, exhorting them to fight. Just think about this. Norfolk Southern has been under such pressure that they actually relented and gave 3,000 unionized workers paid sick leave, which is what all rail workers across the country do not have. They've been fighting for it. That's why they were pushing for the strike. I hope they continue to push and get everybody deserves paid sick leave in America today. Indeed, uh, one of the union movement's bright lights uh, one of the education world's bright lights is a man who could become the mayor of Chicago, one of the biggest and most consequential cities in the United States and in the world today. Indeed, he has shocked the world by surging to second place in many, if, if not most, polls. And so, of course, you know, get out and vote, everybody. Whatever you do, get out and vote. But he's um, a father. um a husband, he is a former teacher, he is a Cook County Commissioner, someone who has just sought to serve, and one of ten children, a man after my own heart. When you when you come from one of these big families, you understand how that works. Even though my family only did half of that. It was like, goodness gracious. <laughs> it teaches you a lot. Well, let me ask you this. What did you learn as one of ten that has helped you in public life? Mm, yeah, thank you. Good morning, Santita, and to uh, the WCTP, WCPT family across the world. Good to be with you all this morning. Yes, coming, you know, being raised in a home with uh, nine siblings. And here's the thing, I don't talk about this a lot, but my parents, Santita, believe it, believe it or not, they were also foster parents. So sometimes our home um, had more children than the ones that my parents gave birth to. So um, with one bathroom. So I learned early in life how to negotiate, especially with women. And um, I think the biggest testament, though, um, to being raised in a large family is 
you know, we are only as strong as the person who is struggling the most. And I learned early in life, um, we, we bring everyone with us. And, and really, that's what this, this campaign, this candidacy has been about. Um, there's room for everybody in the city of Chicago. And I'm convinced and confident that no one has to be too poor to live in one of the richest cities, and one of the richest countries at the wealthiest time in the history of the world. That's what I was taught growing up. Foster parents and parents to 10, well, what can you say? You, you come by service honestly. Let's get right to this. The corporate media have shaped this campaign around crime. And um, and you do and you have but you have held on to your uh, your position that we need to I don't know if it's been the right way to frame this, not defund the police, but refund the police, shift the funding around so police can get the adequate supports that they need to do their jobs. Is that the way is that what you've been talking about? Please explain your position on police because there's a lot of discussion about that. Yeah, absolutely. So first, I mean, you know, acknowledging the fact that it is a serious problem, um, that's important. And we're all living through the, you know, economic, <clears throat> the economic despair that quite frankly has left many of these communities isolated. And that's why we're seeing the, you know, the outbreak and the manifestation of trauma and that comes out in, in many different violent forms. And I'm happy to get into all of those, but it is a serious problem. As you indicated, my wife and I were raising three children on the west side of Chicago, and we love the west side. We love our community, and uh, it's a community that has struggled over the course of uh, decades now. And it is one of the more violent neighborhoods in the entire city of Chicago. So we experience it firsthand. It's not something that just comes across the news. It's, it's right outside our front door. And what I've said repeatedly is that we have to do what safe American cities do, which we have to invest in people. And one of the first things we have to do is invest in passing treatment, not trauma. And what that ordinance will do, it will provide first responders of clinicians, um, of mental health um, professionals to respond to what ultimately are 40% of the 911 calls. 40% of the 911 calls that come through are mental health crises. We are asking police officers to behave as social workers and marriage counselors. It's just not right, it's not fair. We pass treatment, not trauma. We'll have EMTs and mental health professionals showing up to the 911 calls. What that does is it frees up law enforcement to actually focus on and deal with the more serious violent offenses. Because we also know, Santita, that over 40% of the violence that occurs in the city of Chicago, it takes place in 6% of the entire city. So this is about being smart of how we deploy our services. The last thing that I'll say is to, as it relates to public safety, there's a direct correlation between youth employment and violence reduction. And that's why my education plan, my budget plan, my sweeping public safety plan gets at that. And we're gonna stand up the largest youth employment program that this city has seen. And we're gonna make these positions year round. We're also gonna promote within the rank and file 200 more detectives so that we actually have people who are prepared to actually help solve and bring closure um, to the violent crime that takes place in the city of Chicago. We're also gonna spend to make sure that the consent decree is actually implemented with all expediency. In other words, this is an investment plan. My public safety plan is an investment plan because we have to get at the immediate crisis, right? 
But we also have to make sure we're speaking to long-term solutions. And that's why I'm also committed, finally, to reopening our mental health centers. Because the trauma that we're all experiencing throughout the city of Chicago, and it is quite severe, we have to treat that trauma. We have to solve the violent crimes that take place because we already know that those who are victims of violence are more likely to carry it out. And so our plan takes a smart, holistic approach. We look at the budget. Right now in the, the CPD budget, there are two to three graphic designers I don't know. I don't know how graphic designers make us safer. So we have to explore all of this. And many of the recommendations um, that I've received that have informed my public safety plan comes directly from rank and file members. Police officers have made many of these suggestions and they've gone ignored under my administration. Um, we won't ignore the problem anymore. We're going to tell people the truth and we're going to invest in people. And that's ultimately how we're going to build a better, stronger, safer Chicago. Brandon Johnson, one of the top tier candidates, a man who would be mayor. What's your call? It's at 773-763-9278. 773-763-9278. You can vote today. You will be able to vote tomorrow. That's the last day. Get out and vote. We've seen a surge in voting, everybody. Get out and vote. Uh, let me ask you this, Commissioner. What about what about education? I mean, we have overseen just the massive closure of our schools, particularly in the black communities, um, and, and it's had a devastating effect. Uh, we've watched a contraction of vocational education. The first time, first time I took a high school a high school class, I was in eighth grade. Uh, Dunbar was not too far. Was like couple of blocks from my grammar school. So it was a group of us who were allowed, about five or six of us who were allowed to uh, to go to Dunbar. Uh, you know, at you know, we had to start class at eight o'clock in the morning, right? And it was exciting. And what was exciting to me was walking past the house that the Dunbar students had built in the middle of the school. It was in the middle, literally in the middle of the courtyard of the school. And when we found out that high school students had built a house, it was like, what? This is so exciting. And we don't see those opportunities. And then we see the impact upon the labor unions, because that means we can't get in the unions and on and on and on. What about vocational and academic education opportunities? It seems that we don't need fewer schools. We need more opportunities to get into, I mean, to have these schools. What? I mean, talk to me. What about education? I mean, because there's got to be direct, there is a direct tie between lack of educational access and an explosion in crime. People don't have options, Commissioner. Yep. Yeah, you're spot on, Santita. You know, look, the bottom line is the business of education, the business of the city of Chicago is the education of Chicago. In fact, I, I think it's appropriate to have this conversation, especially as we, um, you know, sort of wrap up, if you will, um, Black History Month. Though, of course, we celebrate it all year. But W.E.B. Du Bois said that public education at the expense of the state, particularly in the South, after all, is a Negro idea. That's a direct quote. But the very the, the hope of, of, of liberation, particularly from those who were enslaved, saw, saw education as a pathway to like real participation in democracy. And the fact, to your point, Santita, that children and families across the city, no matter who you are, Black, brown, white, Asian, uh, rich, poor, low income, 
we're all applying for a system that is supposed to be free. You know, that's, that's unconscionable. And under my administration, you're going to have someone who actually believes in public education and the fullness of public education. To your point about the trades, that's very similar experience um, through workforce development. And I saw this, you know, throughout the 90s as well, where students, by the time they graduated, had already developed the skills um, and the training to, to go into carpentry, um, electrician, um, welding. I mean, there's so many different economic opportunities that are available, and we have to use our education system to close the gap between graduation and job opportunities. If you are poor and you're struggling in the city of Chicago and you make it through 12th grade and you graduate, and the council comes up to you and says, look, congratulations, but you're not quite done yet. You're going to have to borrow $100,000 or more. It's going to take you four to five more years to complete this, and there's no guarantee that you're going to have a job when it's over. Right? You think about how discouraging that is. And right now, Santita, there are, and this is in my public safety plan as well, there are 55,000 roughly um, manufacturing jobs available today in the city of Chicago, of which many of them, the average starting salaries of those positions are eighty to $85,000, right? And so through workforce development, as well as the training that we can offer, and starting that as early as 6th and 7th and 8th grade, we can begin to put people on a pathway to economic viability and sustainability. And to your point, it ultimately deals with uh, the undercurrent of, of violence in the city of Chicago, because once people find purpose and have economic security, it begins to eradicate um, the, the, the violence that takes place as a result of, you know, just lack of opportunity. And so it's, yes, making sure that we have the sustainable community schools model that provides community support and control um, for, for the schools. But we also have to make sure that we're implementing what, what, will ultimately provide more resources for our public schools, which is my last point. As an organizer, Sandita, I work with community organizations around the state to get the General Assembly to change the funding formula away, away from the pupil-based budget where you receive a dollar amount per child and we move it towards needs-based, right? The city of Chicago refuses to implement needs-based um, budgeting, which as a result of that, we are missing out on $1 billion from the state of Illinois. We literally created a new funding formula to provide additional resources for families and communities where the needs are far more substantial. And this administration has refused to implement that. I'm not going to refuse to implement, uh, implement that. I'm going to fully embrace it to make sure that manufacturing jobs, trades, CDLs, and those who want to go on to college that all of that is available, which includes in my plan, free community college for CPS students, because we have to make sure that we're creating an opportunity from the moment a child is born all the way until um, at least their associates or certification to provide economic opportunities for families. And that's how we retire this tale of two cities and usher in one story for one Chicago. Well, you know, speaking of a tale of two cities, you know, we've been talking about critical race theory. You're an educator. Um, and, you know, many educators are feel like I don't know what to say when I'm teaching history, which is like your space. Um, and we have, you know, the, uh, the presumptive leader of the nine of you, as you surge, um, who's been critical of critical race theory. And, and again, these, the, the, um, 
the way we the way we label these particular um, these particular issues is problematic for me. Like defund the police, I'm like, no, it's refund the police. Critical race theory, no, it's American history, and American history is complicated. It's complex, but it's a right wing country that's had a lot of left wing movements, and it's made us better. I mean, it's that to me is really it, and so. How do is you think it is a mayor's place to weigh in on that? Um, because certainly a mayor has a, has opinions about that. But yes, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. As a social studies teacher, as a history teacher, it is so important. It is critical that we are making sure that the history is being taught in in an accurate way, because it also speaks to um, how we have to make sure that we're including the culture, the arts, the music. Um, to language, right? Because that also preserves our existence. It also provides a pathway forward for us. And so, you know, you know, you know, Paul Vallis, I just want to remind people, just in case people forgot, he was in charge of budget in the 90s, which has caused the economic peril that we're experiencing right now. Everywhere he has been in charge of the finances, he's been fired and he's left a trail of tears all over the country. In fact, the budgeting is so bad, that's why I released a budget plan where I eliminate the debt within my first term while making critical investments up to $1 billion, and we do this without raising property taxes. Now, people have lied about my plan, and, you know, we provide clarity over and over again. There is no well, 3.5 income provide, That was a lie. Provide, yes, I'm gonna provide clarity about your tax plan because people are attacking you about it. And we'd like to know whenever you Thank say taxes, you it's all fake. <laughs> because it's, it's actually a budget plan, right? You know, a budget plan also requires, and this is what I do in my budget, we eliminate the efficiencies. We get rid of the debt that was caused by Paul Dallas's finances. When he was in charge in the 90s, I was in high school, right? And so I, I, we, we've seen the the... the, the the, the economic despair that it has caused. And so we don't raise property taxes. There is no city income tax. Those were all lies. Um, and, and, and I want to make sure that it's clear because what the city of Chicago has said overwhelmingly, that the vast majority of the city has said that the ultra rich and these big corporations have to pay their fair share in taxes. And, and look, when my budget plan was released, it, it, it's not that much different than what President Biden said, the state of the union address. And I'm glad that Maybe he read my budget plan because he said that a teacher to firefighter should not pay the tax, same tax rate as a billionaire. And so that's consistent. That's what Chicago wants. And so, you know, as we talk about, you know, these economic opportunities that are available for us, we have to make sure that we're investing in them. And, you know, as we, you know, get closer to, to the election day, you know, I want people to vote their hopes and dreams, right? And not play to the fears and the divisive nature that the old style of politics has done that have left families behind. And so with that, with, the, you know, um, cultural competent curriculum and teaching the accurate account of history, it places us in a position to move forward. I, I, I moved on a resolution, Sanjita, and I titled it The Budget for Black Lives. And the motivation behind it was what A. Philip Randolph and other unionists and, and progressive voices did that led to the great society when they moved on the budget for all Americans, right? It, it became the impetus behind the great society that led to some of the greatest investment. And there were black and white elected officials that saw my resolution as, as symbolism 
And I wish they would have paid attention in history class. This is why we have to teach, you know, not just theory, because you have people running for office to run one of the largest economies in the world and did not see the connection between the budget that I moved to the county board and the history that comes with that with people like A. Philip Randolph. And as a result of the budget for black lives, we can retire up to $1 billion of medical debt. We have the largest universal basic income program in the world and in the, in the country. And, and 55% of those who receive that check every single month, they are women, women of color. We've released of $100 million into violence prevention, right? And, and so the, these, these budgets that we put forth, they're not just documents with numbers. There are real consequences when we don't budget right. There are real consequences we don't, when we don't teach an accurate account of our history. And yes, Atita, that's the long response to your question about the influence of the fifth floor to make sure that history is being taught correctly and that we are investing in the full scope of history. Again, that's art, the culture, language. I mean, we know historically when countries come to, to dismantle or destroy a particular group, they go after their culture, they go after the writers, they go after the artists, they go after the critical thinkers, right? They go after poor people. And so my campaign has been very clear about making sure that working class people, middle class families, that their ideas and hopes are front and center and that we're moving policy to pull people up out of poverty. We're taking everyone to the fifth floor. And there's a reason, reason why we're surging. And we've not only captured the imagination of the city of Chicago, but the hopes and the dreams of people who have been waiting for this moment. Remember when Reverend Martin Luther King visited Chicago, he said there was no place like Chicago. And he said that if we ever figured it out in the city of Chicago, it would have tremendous impact around the country. And so we are in a potential position. No, we are in a position to do what our ancestors dreamed of. And that's to bring the civil rights movement and the labor rights movement together and finally see the full manifestation of that potential. And I, I implore the listeners of WCPT to vote our best. And I believe that Brandon is better, and I want people to punch five come tomorrow. I'm alive, everybody. Commissioner Brandon Johnson, running for mayor of Chicago. Can't wait to talk about all that we have been hearing on the Santita Jackson Show on the other side of the break. Back in just a moment. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. We're talking about the mayoral election. The last day to vote is tomorrow. Have you voted? A lot of people have voted. More than 100,000 Chicagoans have voted in this election. Uh, but we're seeing the voter participation down on the south and west sides. What's going on, everybody? Please do not let the minority make the majority decision. And if you do not vote, that is exactly what you're doing. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. We've got, of course, Dwight McKee, noted social scientist, and Kitty Kurth of Kurth Lampy Worldwide, um, public relations, political strategist, no one in the world does it better, along with Kevin Lampy, her husband. Uh, political strategy, crisis management, this is what they do, and they do it all over the world, and as I said, they're the best at it. But first up, 
Shapiro Wells. Shapiro Wells, very engaged in this election, but you have a big event where you are raising money to send the kids to school. Shapiro? Yes, Santita. We are having our annual Courtney Copeland Memorial Foundation Gala this Friday, March 3rd, at the JLM Community Center at 2622 West Jackson at 7 p.m. And we're asking everyone to come out and support us because we are raising funds to send kids away to college. And we are actually uh, having a great time. We're going to have food, dancing, some live entertainment, as well as also some raffles. So please uh, visit www.copelandmemorial.com. That's www.copelandmemorial.com to purchase your ticket. If you can't personally come, please consider uh, donating a ticket to a family member who has lost a child to gun violence in Chicago. So visit www.copelandmemorial.com. Thank you so much, Cynthia. All right. .com, everyone. Well, let's get right to it. What about this election? What have we heard? We heard from Congressman Chewy Garcia today, who's uh, putting equity and inclusion um, and diversity, equality, freedom, right in the middle of his campaign. He's someone who's worked on this on coalition building. I've known him since I was a kid, 40 years ago. Uh, many people think that supporting Harold Washington was an easy thing. No, you kind of signed your political death certificate when you did that. But thanks be to God, that did not happen. But him winning that election was a tremendous consequence. Remember, he almost lost to someone who the night of the election was in um, a psychiatric ward. Bernie Epton, God rest his soul. God bless that man. Um, everyone knew he was emotionally and mentally troubled. But the idea of this black person becoming mayor was just so, was such a big issue and it was so unsettling to so many people. They almost elected a man who was literally, literally in a hospital the night of the election who almost won. You can't make this stuff up. Kitty Kurth, of course, you remember that well. And, and Kevin Lampy, you remember that well. It's just, but it's this election, it's just, there's, there is um, like a low-grade electricity about it, uh, Kitty Kurth. I mean, we're looking at the mayoral race, but one of the things that you wanted us to be mindful of is that there are other races that have tremendous consequences as well. Kitty Kurth? Well, you know, here in good morning, everyone. Um, here in Chicago, we are lucky enough to have local level of elected officials actually are engaged and do provide services. When I tell people in other cities what we go to our aldermen for and what our alderman's office does for us, and when they have local problems that I tell them, we'll call your alderman. They don't know what I'm talking about because other cities don't work the way we do. So as much as you might be frustrated, because when you call to get your alley fixed, it doesn't get fixed. We have the opportunity on Tuesday to elect someone who will return your phone calls, who will fix your alley, who will worry about your local schools, who will worry about your safety, who will worry about jobs locally. So don't forget to vote for aldermen. And if you, if you can't figure out who to vote for, for mayor or alderman, the Chicago Sun-Times does have a good site where you put in 
what's important to you and how you feel about issues, and the sometimes matches you with the candidate that best matches your choices. Mm. Kevin Lampy, what's your assessment of this campaign thus far? Well, we've got we've got a, a number of people running, and we've got two tiers of candidates. But we have one candidate that has really jumped ahead and captured probably what I would call the the, the center to the right of the city. Um, and, and, and Paul Vallis, he has used um, dog whistle politics. He is there about let's send more police, let's send more police, let's arrest ourselves out of this problem. This just isn't a way to handle the situation in Chicago. We need candidate, we need a mayor that is going to look at the root cause of what's going on and creating the crime situation in Chicago. We need a candidate that is going to to, to listen to every single part of the city, but just not be concentrated on the edges of the city um, and be a um, beholden to the police union. That's just not the way for our city to be governed. Clyde McKee, your assessment of the campaign thus far? Well, I was a little disappointed in the campaign. I was looking for a Maynard Jackson type. Maynard Jackson used building the Atlanta airport as a opportunity to bring minorities into the economic mainstream. I watched uh, Mayor Daly use her airport to build up the, the, the western suburbs. I watched him use the Dan Ryan Expressway to bring uh, Bridgeport and some other crowds into the economic mainstream. I watched him use the public sector to bring the Irish into the economic mainstream. I didn't hear that from anybody. I thought maybe we would have somebody who talk about a third airport on the south side or in the south suburbs that we could use to bring minorities into the economic mainstream. Uh, I didn't hear any of that. I didn't hear any of them talking about using taxes, taxing the uh, board of trade, and taxing the uh, these economic engines who make millions and trillions and billions of dollars off prerogatives of the inner city, taxing them to bring us into more equitable re- uh, reality and to be able to reinvest in the communities that they've been able to exploit. They've taken the tax money and then given that to the rich for the last 25 years. I was looking for and to converse for that, where it was a plan to empower the uh, those people who have been left out of the economy. I didn't hear any of that. Hmm. What's the consequence of not hearing any of that? Uh, I think same old, same old. I think once you make crime the issue, which they did was make crime the issue, what you have is more of the same. All of the resources don't go to the police department. It's going to go to young people up. It's going to be used to avoid opportunity. And all you're going to have is, you know, is more pension funds that have to pay uh, for the next 50 years. And you'll have the reinvestment in those communities, South 
companies that benefit off of the public sector jobs. I think without a plan, that kind of plan, you have the same old, same old. Call us at 773-763-9278. Who do you plan to vote for? Whose plan uh, is one with which you agree? Or what's missing from these plans? I want to hear from you. In fact, we have someone um, who's called in, uh, and there is a video of him outside of Paul Vallis' office, uh, someone who's worked in the community for any number of years, Rabbi Michael Ben-Yosef. And so I'm so excited that you're with us today. Uh, we saw this video. It was a little unsettling. How are you, Rabbi? Oh, I'm good. Thank you for uh, having me. God bless your show and all that you do for the community. Uh, this is very much uh, very a blessing to be on here to explain everything. Well, God bless you. And if you could, I need you to come off your speaker so that we can hear you most clearly. Uh, you were outside of Paul Vallis's Headquarters. What happened, and what were you doing there? Well, I was I was exercising my right uh, under the Constitution that the so-called Constitution declares that anyone that's homeborn has a right to freedom of protest, freedom of speech, and freedom of assembly. So I exercised that right on, on at the restaurant down up north, and I had my bullhorn, I had my camera, and. I had, a, I had a sign. I had a message. And Rabbi, the message was... Rabbi, hold on one moment, because we're getting a bit of an, getting a bit of an echo. Hold on one Hello? Rabbi, we're getting a bit of an echo from you, and I just want, I wanted to clear that up so that we can hear you, because it sounds like you're in a, in a can. Um, are you on an earpiece or anything like that? No, I'm actually in, a, uh, I'm in, I'm in my job right now, so that might be what it is. Okay, can you hear me better now? How about that? Just a little bit. Yes, yes. If you can just put your mouth to toward the microphone, that would be because we, we want to be able to hear you. The sound's a little distorted. Okay, very good. Well, um, I was exercising my rights to freedom of symbol, freedom of speech, and freedom of uh, protest with regards to the November 21st, 2021 podcast interview that Paul Dallas uh, did on a uh, show online. And I found it very interesting that the, the, the moderator asked him a question about uh, critical race theory. And so I listened to the interview, and he got to the, uh, the, the uh, segment of 2045, I will say, on the video. And sure enough, Paul Dallas got on there and talked about race critical uh, theory. Um, and him being a ex-CEO of Chicago, Chicago Public Schools, um, he knows better, and he went on an rant basically saying uh, that if a child learns in public schools from the history of black history of being discriminated against all those who have been murdered and been victimized and terrorized, and if this child can go home to his parents and question his parents, why didn't you tell me that my ancestors discriminated somebody, some other people that does not look like me. And he basically goes on to say that we don't want that child that experienced that trauma, that, they, that we don't want that conversation to be had in the home. Then he said that the, the teachers who are going into providing this information, this, this teaching in the classroom, is divisive. That's what he said. 
And Defiant is a vessel teaching. And he said that this takes the teacher off what her core responsibilities is as an educator, that she should be only focused on the core issues, not anything that deals with um, something that deals with um, such as the... um, such as the curriculum of, of um, um, uh, discrimination and civil rights or anything that deals with humanity. So I went out there to protest him and his organization, his, his, his uh, campaign, and I was assaulted. And you can see in the video, I held my, my, I held my sign, I held my, my, my bullhorn and the video, uh, played on my video uh, that, that was his actual voice, and then it, the, uh, the staff came out and attack me and then destroy my equipment. So this is the this is what it, it goes. This is how it is uh, when you're on the front lines of standing for justice, standing for equality, standing for humanity. That we as activists are targeted because we're speaking truth to power. And I just felt the need to speak truth to power, knowing that this is an individual that will come in and be elected as a mayor of Chicago and be. Uh, be responsible for so many lives, so many minds that are going to be looking at this person for leadership. And it's, it was almost, in my opinion, a, a, a pandering to the people up north that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that you're, that you don't have to deal with any of this black lives matter uh, slogan. This, this, uh, this, in this victim, the victim type of, uh, 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 lifestyle that we want you to have all it be a white white erased from the minds of young children so they don't feel them, themselves responsible uh for them to have uh any bit of accountability and that's what basically what so i was out there and and, and I'm, I'm okay right now i'm just just a little bit uh you know ready to do what i'm doing today you know be out there today at uh city hall to protest again um, okay. Guy needs to be. Oh, pretty much it. We we saw the video on Facebook, and it was um it was it was unsettling. Um, but I want to thank you for calling in. I want to thank you for uh for really amplifying this issue. And I want to ask uh, before we go to Renee, who's called in. Well, you know, let me go to you, Renee. Renee, uh, your thoughts. Good morning, Santita and future Mayor Johnson, and thanks for taking my call. Uh, you can probably tell that I already voted for um, Commissioner Johnson, and I, I voted for him not because I'm a teacher, because I'm at the end of my career, but I voted for him because he's someone that I see will make an effort to bring equity to the citizens of Chicago who will not leave communities like my North Lawndale community and the Austin community where I work behind, like they've been left behind for, for so long. I met Paul Dallas back in the 90s um, when he came to my school as um, the first folk for the day. He was with Jamie Diamond, and I believe Mr. Chico was with them. I can't remember. There were three of them, though. Um, Mr. Dallas seemed very nice. It was a hot, sunny day in the spring. Um, They couldn't take the heat, literally. So by lunchtime, they had removed their jackets, their ties, and then they removed themselves from our school. But they didn't send any resources to our school so that we could have 
air conditioning so that the students and the staff wouldn't have to suffer through those hot, steamy days. That's what I remember about him. And I remember how they changed the seniority in the schools where instead of being able to use your seniority, seniority to bump throughout the city, they limited where you could bump to your individual schools, which made it easier to close individual schools and take all the jobs of those teachers. Oh, because they also took the cream of the crop with these charter schools he started, and then they put you on probation. When your test scores dropped, when your top students were taken out. On the other hand, Mr. Johnson, he's not going to leave us behind. He's not going to leave when it gets too hot. I've seen him out there marching, not just for teacher salaries, but what, if you pay close attention, what he has been marching for was to bring housing to the homeless students. He's been marching for libraries in all schools, for the arts to be in all schools, because we know that we need to develop the whole child, and we also need to make sure that children have places to go to live when they leave the school and that they're well-fed and taken care of physically and mentally. So I think there's a stark contrast between Mayor Johnson and wannabe Mayor Paul Vallis. And I hope people vote correctly in this election to get the best candidate for the whole city. And don't be afraid uh, because they talk about it. They, they hype the crime. They hype the crime. But there's so much more to the city than the crime rate. And like um, Mr. Johnson talks about, economics plays a role in that. And we know that an idle mind is the devil's workshop. That's what they used to say. So give people jobs give them dignity, and then watch. I'm sure that'll help the crime go down, especially if the police start catching those few people who are committing the crimes and holding those few accountable, because most people don't commit crimes. And now I have to run, but thank you for taking my call. Thank you. Uh, Kevin Lampy. you were um, really one of the, uh, well, initially you were almost a lone voice in, in calling candidate Vallis out about dog whistle politics. Do you, just having heard uh, the rabbi and uh, Miss Renee speak, what say you? Well, it, it, it says a lot about, about Paul Vallis that he is willing to use the tools of the far right to win this election. You know, he knew what he was doing when he talked about critical race theory in that way. He understood that that was going to appeal to a limited number of voters in Chicago. But what it does is, in this type of race where there's this many people running, if he gets, you know, 25, 26, 27, almost 30 percent of the vote in the uh, in this first election, then he'll make it into the runoff when it becomes a one-on-one race. And then we may have a situation going back to the the poor late departed uh, Bernie Empton, where, where it becomes it's in a too late situation. And I think Paul Vallis, they've run a brilliant campaign to be the whitest candidate uh, in this race. Hmm. Dwight McKee, I've got about a minute and a half before we get off air. Your thoughts? Oh, racism is so subtle, you all. You know, the Romans built the Parthenon, the Greeks built the Pantheon. But aliens built the pyramids. 
You know, it's, it's not recognized us having the capacity to be equal. And the danger of um, of these of that dog whistle politics, as the brother just talked about, is that it becomes a pretext to then begin to close the schools down, begin to put these charter schools up, begin to to reinvest in the cream of the crop, and to dismiss uh, the ordinary. And it's mediocre. And so um, same thing in terms of the economy. It gives you a pretext to be able to give the already wealthy more contracts under the guise that they have capacity. And those who yet to have can't compete because, quote, unquote, they don't have capacity. It gives you a subject. To maintain that superiority that you've had over the years uh, and justify it under the guise that this these people are positioned to, to maintain control and maintain power. And these, these people who, by, who have been ostracized and who have been oppressed by definition, don't have the capacity to come out of this because now they are the victims of the conditions that they've suffered in, suffered through, uh, has limited their capacity to get beyond that. It is such a dangerous place to be, and I see us going that way. I hope people make the right decisions and consolidate behind the right candidate, and particularly in the runoff, uh, that they make the right decision. Uh, that's in the city's long-range interest. Stay right there, because I want to get some closing thoughts from you, Kitty Kurtz, and Kevin Lampy on the on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and on Santita Jackson and Friends, because the quiet part is being said out loud right now, everybody. Dog whistle? No, it is a shout. And we cannot afford that. Reverend Jackson often says that we came over here in different ships, but we're in the same boat now. We all need to pull together and make America what it's supposed to be. 